This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our June 29th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And it is Monday or Monday of a shortened week, right? We have 4th of July coming up, and we have the last day of the quarter tomorrow. Remember, one, only one more day until the year's half over. I know it feels like a long year, right? Uh, but it's, uh, it's almost half over, which in a lot of ways I think is a good thing. Uh, but we all are looking forward probably to 4th of July, but it's going to be a very different 4th of July than in the past. And we know that the world is a lot different now than it was a year ago. Uh, and I've talked before about how you know we're in this fourth turning, we're in the, the change phase. So a lot is going to be different in the 2020s than you've seen in the past. Uh, the last 30 years, 40 years is going to be very, very different. And Bank of America actually came out with something over uh, last week uh, to kind of characterize what the 2020s are going to look like versus the 2010s. So this is how they compare and contrast different parts of, uh, I guess, the investment world, the, the world we're going to be living in for probably the next decade. And they say the 2010s were about the 1%. The 2020s, about the 99%. We've seen that amount of layoffs, and uh, we've already had a version of some MMT uh, and really just focusing more on supporting people versus supporting businesses. I definitely think that's going to happen. And that kind of goes in number two, which is the Wall Street versus Main Street, right? 2020s were, 2010s were all about Wall Street. 2020s are going to be about Main Street. 2010 was about capitalists, and the 2020s will be about workers, refocusing on uh, workers and their, their role. Uh, in society as opposed to just straight capitalism. Now, this isn't, once again, this isn't uh, me talking about politics and, and trying to tell you what should be. I'm telling you what Bank of America sees is coming down the pipe here in the 2020s. And I agree, if you look at history, you look at uh, the parallels between today and the 1940s, there's a lot of parallels from the deficit to interest rates to uh, wealth inequality, etc. So we're going to uh, need to look at the 2020s in a different way. The 2010s, going back to Bank of America, it was about shareholders, and now 2020s are going to be about stakeholders. So not just shareholders, but employees, the board, uh, the the areas and the communities that these companies are operating in, how are the companies supporting those particular communities? 2010s were about the boomers. 2020s are about millennials. That's really what the fourth turning is all about. It's about the intersection between different generations. And this is, this is the time. This is the time that the baby boomers are now phasing out, right? They're in the last phase of their life, whereas the millennials are coming into really the second going into the third phase of their life, right? The oldest millennials are now 40, right? And the second phase of your life starts around, or sorry, the third phase of your life starts around 
uh, in, in the early 40s. So that's what the 2020s are going to be about. More about millennials, how the millennials see the world, not how the baby boomers see the world, okay? And the institutions that they built over time, the millennials will build their own institutions. And how is that going to change the, the markets, right? I think that will be interesting. Uh, they also talk about in 20, 2010s, it was about maximizing wealth. And in 2020s, maximizing health. We see that with uh, the COVID pandemic. 2010s were about QE. 2020s will be about MMT, which uh, once again, I'm not advocating for it, but it looks like that's what will, uh, what was coming down the pipe, at least. We already have one, some form of that right now. 2010s were about bailouts, right? Seen the bailouts in 08, the recent bailouts uh, just a few months ago. And now 2020s will be about helicopters, meaning helicopter money, right? Putting money into the economy directly, not indirectly through bailing out corporations. 2010s were about deregulation and 2020s will be about intervention, intervention uh, in economies uh, and markets. 2010s were about corporate buybacks. 2020s were about wealth taxation, especially with the deficit. I definitely see taxes going up, especially on the wealthy. 2010s, globalization, 2020s, isolationism. I definitely think that's going to happen. You see that with Trump uh, and his tariffs. He ran as a populist. I don't know if he really governed as a populist, but that was definitely one of the uh, big populist uh, movements that he started, and I think the Democrats will back that up. So either side, I think, will push into more isolationism, and I think that will be more of a global thing. I don't think that's just going to be here in the United States. 2010s, democracies. 2020s, dictatorships. As we have more political strife, economic strife worldwide, because that's what the period we're in. We're in a period where central banks are kind of at the end of what they can do, and it's going to be about governments putting down uh, their their impact more directly. Uh, and that's kind of worldwide need more dictatorships. 2010s, we're about earnings per share. 2020s will be about GDP. GDP growth is going to be much harder to come by. We've stolen a lot of the future GDP growth in the economies worldwide by lowering interest rates. That's really what it does, right? It, 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 it's, a, it's trying to get people to borrow money. When you borrow money, you're stealing demand from the future because the, that money needs to be paid back. Okay, So really, it's, it's going to be trying to manufacture some GDP growth. 2010s, peace. 2020s, war, unfortunately, uh, and 2010s, deflation, and 2020s, stagflation, and I think that's definitely true as well. So these are all the themes coming out of Bank of America and their report and what they're expecting to the 2020s to look like versus the 2010s, and I thought that was very important to, to go over because it is imp- it, it, it's all of those factors are going to feed into markets, industries, economies, companies, and it's going to be a landscape, an investment landscape that's going to be very different than you've seen in the past. We're going to have to pull playbooks from, like I said, the 1940s, other eras, the 1970s, right, when you had stagflation before. You need to look back pre, uh, you know, 80s. Everyone kind of looks at the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and, and that's their, their playbook. But it's very, we're entering a very different world, okay? So I hope that helped give you some perspective. And we're going to talk about all this on this show and going forward. Now, you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. 
And the summer is underway and the 4th of July will be here this Saturday. And no doubt there are people across the country wanting to celebrate. But is it safe? And when will the country be back in high gear? And how can you be better prepared for market swings that are likely to continue for some time? So we're going to talk about this. And your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin. Hey, Steve. This is Sean from Philly. My question is uh, about GBTC. It's a Bitcoin trust. I'm not too familiar with it, but uh, I'm looking at it maybe to get into it get some Bitcoin exposure. I was wondering what you guys thought about it. All right, thank you. All right, well, I'm going to let you know that I actually purchased this ETF, uh, and it's my, it my only exposure to Bitcoin. And I did it in the recent past, over the last few months. And I'll tell you why. Now, originally, I was pretty skeptical on Bitcoin, and I'm still skeptical to a certain degree. Um, but I also understand the value proposition here, right? You, you have monetary debasement at record levels, and the thought process behind Bitcoin is to have a finite supply. I think somewhere around 2024, there'll be no more new Bitcoins uh, mined. Now, I think there, there are a lot of technological challenges and challenges when it comes to government acceptance that I think there are, that there are a lot of hurdles still left for it to get over. But the fact that it's stayed around this long, it's maintained uh, a relative value, uh, a lot of those other altcoins have gone down in value, and Bitcoin in relation to the crypto marketplace has become much bigger, and it's getting a little more scale. I could see it catching on long term. Now, it's certainly going to be very volatile in the meantime. Uh, you've seen that over the past uh, few years at high as 17,000, then went all the way down to, I think, 3,000 ish, and now we're around uh, 8,000 or so. So I, I, I think it's good to have a small exposure. Now, for me, I'm still way more exposed to gold. I'm a bigger fan of gold. I think there's more. Uh, there's more certainty to it. It has more history. But I could see Bitcoin having some sort of a role, right? We talked about just before the break about how millennials will be a big part of the 2020s versus the boomers. So millennials are a lot more accepting of things like Bitcoin. And so the citizens will gradually, as a percentage, become more accepting of Bitcoin as a whole. So I don't think it's bad to have this as, a, uh, as exposure. Once again, it's still a very small percent of what I own. Um, but I think you have to have some exposure. Even if it's just a small amount, it, it's, there's still that, it's like that call option on 
the fact that maybe this is what we transition to from the dollar because the dollar the way it's structured right now it's 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 going to lose its value as a reserve currency based on the debasement based on the structure that it's in now just a matter of when will that be and is it going to be bitcoin or some other mechanism but i do think it is good to have a little exposure let's go to mukash in san diego looking at cheesecake factory hey justin how are you good good how you doing i'm good thank you for your show it's really helping me a lot uh, in my investment uh, i had a small position in cheesecake factory I, I bought it around like twenty three dollars, and I am hmm. holding it still. But it went down on twenty, and it came back today. So should I just like sell it and just be one, or should I keep it? I don't know because I know market is very volatile. Uh, people are saying second wave. I don't know. So what's your thought on that? Thank you. Thanks for the call. Well, this is a Cheesecake Factory. The good thing about Cheesecake is they don't have a ton of debt on their balance sheet. But they're in an environment where there's a, a lot of economies still shut down. A lot of people still don't want to go to, to restaurants. And how profitable will the restaurants be in the era of, of COVID? Now, they could. it looks like they can muddle through it because of that relatively good balance sheet. And in the first quarter, they still made $0.04 cents a share, even though that was earnings were down 94% year over year. But um, I like that balance sheet that it's not too over indebted and but you should expect volatility right if you have another wave which looks like we're having a wave or you can call it the the continuation of the first wave in certain areas whatever you want to call it covid cases are rising and that's going to hurt demand whether government shut down or not still people are going to be more reticent to go out to uh to restaurants so uh, you need to be able to handle the volatility but i like that it's uh, has a decent balance sheet uh, and it will be able to probably muddle through this and you may be getting at great long-term value if it survives but a lot depends on the covid recovery now you're listening to invest talk i'm justin klein and i know you probably had a wild year Crazy year, but your retirement objectives can't be controlled by the pandemic. So you need to take steps to optimize your portfolio. So if you want to reach out to myself or Steve at our KP Financial offices in Irvine, California, we can help you. We can do a free portfolio review for you. So give us a call right now at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Steve and Justin have recorded an all-new Rapid Fire Hour. It's a free podcast download, and you'll hear answers to 30 caller questions. You can find it now for free at investtalk.com, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Search Invest Talk June Bonus Show. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Matthew in Boise, Idaho. I'm calling about your guys' thoughts on the stock SP. OT Spotify. I'm not sure when you guys are getting this call, but yesterday it just went above its all-time high, and then today it gapped up off of that. I feel like I've missed the boat, kind of, but I do believe in this stock long-term because I just feel like, I mean, most of the people my generation, they all listen to Spotify. Joe Rogan signed a deal with them, a licensing deal. Kim Kardashian, she's actually going to start having a podcast on Spotify and in terms of competition, I think it, it beats out Apple, really. I don't think Apple is 
you know, their music or podcasts are really in competition with it. So I was just wondering, do you guys think I should wait for a pullback? I'm thinking about just waiting for a pullback and just investing in it long term. Um, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on it. And one more quick question. Do you guys think you would ever start streaming on Spotify, maybe having your podcast on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify? Uh, we'll look forward to your guys' answers. Thank you. Well, I'll answer the last one. We're on Spotify. So uh, we're, you can find the Invest Talk Show on Spotify. I'm sure many of you are listening right now on Spotify. Now, I agree with you. I, listen, I use Spotify myself. Uh, I love it. It is definitely my most used application. Uh, I, I like the fact that they are going to the podcast space and really putting a lot of effort in there. To me, spot, er, it's podcasting is now the new talk radio, uh, and it's not going away. More and more people are, are, are enjoying the, the nuances that you get from long-form content like this. Right? Uh, a lot of people are tired of headlines, and they really want to get into the details. Uh, and that's why podcasts are so popular. And I think the pivot there is smart for them. Uh, I, I like Spotify. It is still very expensive, $50 billion market cap. They only did $200 million in free cash flow last uh, last uh, trailing 12 months. So it is extremely, extremely expensive. Uh, and that's my worry here. But I do like the company. Uh, and I think, but I think growth stocks, once you, they kind of come back down to earth, interest rates go up because I do think if inflation rises, you're going to see interest rates go up. The discount rate on these growth stocks, uh, matters a lot. And so if the discount rate goes up, these are going to hit more. So I think you're going to have an opportunity over the next couple of years to get into Spotify. Uh, but I would be patient on it. I still really like the name definitely on my watch list to buy, but it would definitely need to be a, around 150. That's my value on Spotify. Uh, but yeah, wait for a pullback. Now, my main talking point today concerns the story is how to deal with the bad news that is punishing markets right now. And I'm going to go over kind of the pluses and the minuses in the market. I'm going to start with the positives. Now, the first positive is that cash levels are high. Money market funds hold about $4.8 trillion. That's above the prior high, which was 2009 at $3.8 trillion. Now, a lot of this has to do with uh, you know, the government getting, giving people money and them not working and not having uh, gambling sites to, to, to gamble with, right, because there's no sports. So that might change as, as uh, more and more people tap that money to pay rent and, and all the, their bills, right? But for the meantime, cash levels are pretty high. Also, the Fed and the government are putting massive amounts of money into the economy. I talked about on Thursday that the current stimulus is about three times larger than all of the stimulus from 2009, at least when it comes to government spending. And they're not done yet. They even have uh, infrastructure spending components, right? So that could be coming down the pipeline as well. We're probably not going to go to full lockdown mode. That's definitely a positive. Also, COVID-19 immunity looks pretty good. We're not seeing a lot of people get reinfected. You know, the only ones that are have severe, severe immune system problems. So herd immunity looks like it could become a thing. And frankly, that seems like the strategy at this point, especially because, uh, you know, the, the mass thing has become politicized. Also, COVID-19 resurgence may be limited to certain geographies. 
right? We've seen the Sun Belt, right? Areas where it's very hot, where people are going inside for air conditioning. And we know that when you're inside, it's a lot easier to spread the virus. So that's, those are the positives, is that uh, it seems relatively limited. Now, what are the negatives? First off, sentiment turned bullish. Not super bullish, but fairly bullish. So it means there's a lot more room now for sentiment to go back down into bearish territory, and the market would need to go down a good amount for that to happen. Number two, insiders have shifted to neutral. Only 12 companies have seen executives buy more than $100,000 worth of stock over the past month, and that is very, very low. Also, epidemiologists are saying that the chances are very high that we will see even more serious outbreaks in early October when the flu season starts. So you think it's bad now. Imagine when it's not very warm out and people want to get inside to stay warm. Well, more there's going to be more infection. And it's colder. Immune systems are more compromised, etc. Political risk is rising as well. Obviously, you see uh, Joe Biden sur surging in the polls. Betting odds are showing a good chance the Senate will go Democratic as well. And uh, that is likely to mean bad things for corporations. You know, I talked about that uh, at the top of the show. And then seasonally, we're in a weak time of the year. July through October tends to be relatively weak. Now, you listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to hear from you. I'm taking your calls live at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here, and if you've been watching the news and market volatility, you're going to have finance and investment questions. The phone lines are open, and Justin is taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. I bought Exxon today on June 11th because of the huge pullback in price from $56 to $46. The order hasn't actually went through yet because I use M1 Finance and it usually takes a little longer to buy. So I want to guess that my entry price will probably be anywhere from $46 to $48. But my question is, do you guys think I rush into Exxon early? I have been wanting to buy this stock for a while now, but it's just been so overpriced and I was just waiting for a pullback. And I thought this was um, an opportunity to take advantage of that. And if so, should I sell or since I'm holding on long term, should I just hold on to it? Because I know oil, I think Justin said oil's probably going to, I could be wrong in this, but I think Justin said that oil was probably going to bounce around from price from like $20 to $40. So I'm just wondering, you know, was this a good entry point? Thank you guys for the show. I appreciate all your guys' helpful advice. Thank you. All right, looking at Exxon Mobil and close today around $44. So you're talking about buying at 46, you know, down a little bit. Uh, obviously, the, the markets pull back and relatively energy hasn't done that bad. Uh, if you look at the uh, the, the XLE, um, it's, it's looking pretty decent uh, compared to the overall markets and Exxon as well. So, uh, you know, we like Exxon. We're, we're a fan of ExxonMobil long-term. We want companies that can withstand this environment. So, you know, there's still an, a lot of oversupply of oil. There's uh, going to be a lot of bankruptcies. And I think the ones that will come out of this are those that are able to 
have strong enough balance sheets to pick up the assets of those that do go bankrupt and uh, just really not make bad decisions, bad long-term capital allocation decisions just to service debt, right? And uh, Exxon, I, I think, is one of those. So we like Exxon. Uh, like I said, I do think there's, you're right, there is going to bounce around from, you know, in the 20s to the 40 range uh, until we get to a more realistic supply-demand dynamic, which will be probably in 2021. Uh, but I think on dips, Exxon is a good long-term play to hold. Thanks for the call. That was X-O-M. Now, one overlooked news, piece of news from last week was the Fed's bank stress tests. And there was some interesting results. Now, the current economic environment is much worse than their previous extremely bear case for the economy. So what that means is that they're, after, they're having to reassess the capital buffers that these banks have. Right? It's a new framework that they are looking at these banks under. And it looks like, for the most part, these banks, even in this adverse scenario, have pretty good capital levels, at least for now. Now, that could change, okay? But there are a few that are a little bit under fire here. And those are Capital One, Discover, Ally Financial, Citizens Financial, J.P. Morgan, Regions Financial, Truist Financial, and Wells Fargo. These are the ones that are at pretty decent risk of maybe having to raise capital. Wells Fargo looks like the one that's going to need to cut its dividend the most. And the Fed has frozen dividends for banks. Now, you can look at that as positive. They didn't get rid of all of them, but they've frozen them. It depends how you look at it. Glass, glass half full, they're still paying them. Glass half empty, they're not going to increase their dividends. And they also that banks can no longer buy back shares. So they are clearly worried about the amount of reserves that these banks have for loan losses. And they also want banks to resubmit their capital plans later in the year. So they're going to look at this each quarter and make adjustments as appropriate. Now, banks like Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, Capital One, etc., they were down pretty decently on Friday. I mean, this came out after the close on Thursday. So it just shows you how worried the Fed is on the banking system. This is something that they don't want to repeat of 08, uh, and they're going to force banks to hold on to capital and make sure that they are not doing anything reckless with their balance sheet. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at FIL, which is, let's see, what's the symbol? SIL. Oh, SIL. Okay. Is that silver? Silver miners. Yep. Okay. You looking to buy it or do you own it? Uh, I don't own it yet. I want to own it, Justin, and I've been watching it and waiting for it to pull back some, but it doesn't seem to be uh, in, apt to happen, but it's just 
kind of st- sticking around 35. Would have been nice to buy it uh, back in March, obviously, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what a kind of shit. And, and of course, uh, SIL, SLV, GLD, they're. They're, if the stock market goes up, uh, they're apt to go down, and vice versa. So, uh, mm-hmm. should I still be patient for SIL, or should I jump in? I'm, I, I want to add it. I, I, I want to do it. I at like the best it. Uh, yeah, I like it. It's been consolidating here for uh, about a month, month and a half, and outperforming uh, the GDX. So, and I've said this for the past uh, month or two is that silver. If we're in a precious metal bull market, which I think we are in, silver tends to outperform gold. Now, it's going to be more volatile. There's, uh, there, there's more, more volatility in general. So, but with that risk, with that volatility, you get more upside if things continue the way they have been. And I, I think silver uh, is definitely a, a good place to be from a risk-reward standpoint. Now, it's still higher risk than uh, a gold or a gold miners, uh, but I like silver. I think everyone should have some exposure there. And the fact that it's just been consolidating sideways means that it's building energy, building energy for that next move uh, in the precious metal space, and I think silver will definitely perform. So I like it. I would buy it. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Yes, the economy is reopening in phases, and the clock is ticking as the calendar advances and whether you're a conservative investor edging closer to retirement or in retirement or you're a younger investor looking for more aggressive opportunities we can customize an investment strategy designed to achieve your particular particular financial freedom goals while managing the risks that are in this market so to get started with a no-cost portfolio review please call or send a message through investtalk.com and now i'm here ready to provide unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. We're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We have good news. Steve and Justin have recorded an all-new Rapid Fire Hour. It's a free podcast download, and you'll hear answers to 30 caller questions. You still get unbiased answers, but the show moves along at a faster pace. You can find it now for free at investtalk.com, iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Search Invest Talk June Bonus Show. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls. The Anytime Listener line is open, 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. My name's Andy, and I'm 25 years old from Chicago, Illinois. And I just kind of one big question for you regarding investing. I've been putting a lot of my money into good blue-chip companies that I believe are going to gained value over the next five to 10 years, looking to increase my wealth. And I'd like to know if you think that Alibaba has potential to grow to be as big of a company as potentially Amazon. So thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Well, Alibaba is a $565 billion market cap. Amazon is $1.3 trillion. So it's, yeah, it's roughly... Uh, a third of the size, uh, maybe 40% of the size, but it's still very large, and for at least from a market cap perspective, and we're actually short Alibaba. I think there's problems with these Chinese companies listed here in, 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 on U.S. exchanges. They don't have the proper oversight, and it's clear that a lot of them have some level of fraud. If you understand these Chinese companies, 
And almost every single one has some level of fraud within their business and their reporting. It's just a matter of how much. Is it you know, 10, 20%, which would be on the, on the optimistic side? Or are you talking about a luck and coffee type of situation where 70, 80% of their business was made up, was fraudulent? Uh, and there's going to be more and more scrutiny to this. And I think that is coming on the pipe. And I would definitely not be owning Alibaba. In fact, we are short it. So I hope that helped. 8899 chart, 8992-4278. Let's touch on commercial real estates. Now, over the last couple of decades, as interest rates on government bonds have dropped from 6% to 1% or lower, if you're talking about the 10-year, investors have been putting a lot of capital towards commercial real estate, right? You have long leases, 10-year leases typically, and it's fairly easy to see the returns that you're going to get in commercial real estate, at least pre-COVID. And so these pension funds, hedge funds, they're Fund managers, they're piling in, they were piling into malls, offices, hotels, warehouses, and seeing that steady return. And over that time period from 2000, typical pension fund allocations to commercial property has risen from 5% all the way to 10%. So doubled over the past 20 years. There's about $11 trillion sunk into this particular asset class. Now, once again, these reliable rental incomes, some capital appreciation, seen investors get about a 7% annual. And for pension funds, that's been hard to come by. Typically, they invest in fixed income. So they're look, typically looking for relatively safe assets. And they've been treating commercial real estate as that. Now, every recession, you get some level of delinquencies. But right now, Half of mall tenants and 60% of restaurants in America are not paying their rents. And there's a lot of debt behind this that is now going belly up. Commercial mortgage-backed securities, CMBS, bundled up property loans have, been have seen delinquent rates exceed the financial crisis already, north of 10%. Now, e-commerce activity has jumped forward five years in the span of five months. So this is speeding up the decline of the brick-and-mortar shops. We know that. And demand for warehouses are going up. Now, if you look at habits, mobi mobility tracking data suggests office activity is down 36%. That's actually worse than retail activity, and restaurants, shops, cinemas, that's only down about 15%. Now, a lot of these tenants aren't paying rent, but the owners don't know what to do with it, right? You, you, why kick them out when there's no one else that's going to replace them? It's better to work with them and try to get them at some point in the near future to start paying rent again. Now, they're sticking to unrealistic valuations and... The reason is because there's a lot of arcane account accounting practices that make this easier. So the balance sheets of a lot of these look fairly good, but underneath the surface, there's a lot 
the problems. Now what's going to change? Hotels may become apartment blocks. Malls may become fulfillment centers for e-commerce. You can see offices change into hot desks that are further apart. Right? There's a lot that you're going to see change. So the commercial real estate market is no longer an easy way to make nice, solid returns. Going to evolve, and I think become a more stable, down the line, a more stable asset class once we get through this painful process of changing the way the economy operates. Now let's keep things moving. Next up, a question from an InvestTalk listener in San Jose. Yes, hello, Joel Schwartz, uh, San Jose, California. Just looking at uh, Masabi Trust, MSB, and their uh, annual dividend, $2.34. Earnings per share, $2.04. Does that look like it's going to hold up the dividend, or what's going to happen? How long will I go on if the earnings do not match or exceed the dividend? Thank you. Hmm. Masabi Trust. This is a royalty trust. And let's see. It principally owns segments in iron ore mining. So it's it's mining iron ore. At least it's, uh, it, uh, it's a trust that owns companies that... Are, are mining iron ore, and it looks like it does pay about a 13% dividend, but cash dividend pay ratio is about 110%. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of of this. I don't like that space. Uh, I really need to dig into this a little bit more. These royalty trusts can be quite complex. Sometimes the royalties expire at some point. And we need to look into that. When does that particular when does that expire? And if I'm looking at the chart, it is now in a pretty decent downtrend on the daily and weekly chart. Lower highs, lower lows. Uh, so as long as it's below that 50-week moving average, I would not be owning this. And I think that dividend is uh, is not sustainable in this economic environment. Now, the next invest talk a story based on the, this analysis. Seven reasons the stock market may face a severe bout of turbulence. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, You'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Dio. I was actually uh, wondering about silver. Is silver, is it a good time to get into silver? I was looking at uh, ticker symbol PAAS, Pan American Silver, and I wanted to know your thoughts. I love your show. Thank you. All right, this is pretty similar to the previous caller, which was asking about SIL, but this is a specific silver miner, one of the largest out there, Pan American Silver, about a $6 billion market cap. And I, I like Pan American Silver. It's, uh, it's one of the better ones out there in the marketplace today. So uh, it's just a matter of what's, which one you like. If you're trying to invest in particular 
silver companies as opposed to just getting the wide swath with 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 an SIL. Uh, this is you could do much worse. I'll tell you that than uh, than Pan America. Definitely one of the better ones out there. So I like it. Now let's lastly get to some mistakes that retirees make with withdrawing money. Right now, the four percent rule is your tried and true percentage. Right, saying, "Oh, I I I need to get enough money so that I can take out." 4% every year and not run out of money. But that that can be that sticking to that can run you into some problems. And that's the issue here. Now the first is that you don't adjust your portfolio's value with the market conditions, right? So you don't have flexibility. You say, oh, I'm just going to take I have a million dollars. I'm taking out 40000 a year, uh, et cetera. But what happens if you have a tough year? Right? The market's down. Maybe you were down 12%. Now you're taking out more. You're, you're selling when things are down. What about having some flexibility there? Maybe you only take out 3% that year. And vice versa. Maybe things are good. Maybe 40% is, or 4% is too conservative. Live a little. Right? So maybe having a middle ground, a, a ceiling and a floor, right? Upper and lower bound of what you take out each year can be a good strategy. Also, only looking at 4% and not adjusting for your time horizon. Now, the original 4% rule was based on research, assuming a 30-year time horizon, right? You retire at 65, you might live till 95. But what happens if you have a shorter time horizon? People are working longer? Or you might have a longer time horizon. Maybe you retire early and you're very healthy. You think you're going to live to 100. So don't just... Use the 4% rule based on that 30-year time horizon because yours is going to be different, most likely. Also, not adjusting for portfolio mix. Now, if you're willing and able to take more risk, you might be able to get away with a higher withdrawal rate, right? Because over time, you're going to earn higher returns in general. That's a factor. And then... What about taxes? What's your tax rate in the state that you're going to be living in? Where do you see taxes going in the future? If you're a high income earner, you have a lot of money, and maybe you're going to take out a lot in your IRAs and 401ks in retirement, your tax rate might be relatively high. And that means tax rates might go up on you, even though you're retired. And vice versa. So it's important to understand how taxes are going to impact your withdrawal rate over time. I hope that gave you a little insight into how to think about your plan towards withdrawing money. And if anyone needs any help, we do build financial plans for our clients. So we'd love to kind of help you with that and understand what is a realistic number for you to pull out each and every year. 
I'm Justin Klein. That completes another Invest Talk program. I will return on Thursday. Steve Peasy will be here tomorrow. In the meantime, please remember to download our new June Rapid Fire Hour bonus podcast. It is free, and you can get it right now. Tell your friends and family members about investtalk.com and the helpful resources on our website as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.